Sometimes the bad things that happen in our lives put us directly on the path to the best things that will ever happen to us. Welcome to the Two Roads Travel podcast. Two sisters, two journeys, one purpose. Changing perceptions and judgments around alcohol misuse. The impact on the drinker, family and society as a whole. Episode 32 goes live on the 15th of November and it's our last episode of the podcast. We've decided to take a break for a while but hope to be back in the future. Harry was somebody that we interviewed in our very first episode and he's going to share his story on the 15th of November about what his life is like now in recovery. So remember to join us. Too many struggle alone, so please remember us when you chat to someone that may need help. Remember, we also run a closed Facebook group for Daughters of Alcoholics. So for those that want more individual support, go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Daughters of Alcoholics. Hello and welcome to the second to last episode of the Two Roads Travelled podcast. In this episode... Paula and Joe are talking to Elliot about repairing broken relationships, something that the families of drinkers often find very difficult to do. When you live with or are affected by someone's drinking, you endure a lot. You're often being let down, lied to, manipulated, sometimes physically and mentally abused, and all whilst watching the person you love destroy themselves with alcohol. It's understandable then why for some families it seems like an impossible task to find forgiveness. And when relationships break down, it can be a long process to repair them. Elliot's relationship with his alcoholic father was a troubled one. All throughout his teenage years, Elliot could never understand why his dad was such a failure. And after learning that his father was going to get treatment, Elliot, out of anger and shame, told his friends that his dad had died. Once on the treatment programme, his father set out to make amends and sent Elliot letter after letter, all of which were ignored until one day, the chance hearing of a song by Pink Floyd changed everything. Let's find out what happened. Here are your hosts, Joe and Paula. Hi everybody. Hello. Um, it's Joe here and um, welcome to our second but last podcast episode. Um, we are going to take a break. Uh, some of you might have already you know, heard this previously, So, but for those of you that might not have heard, we've done, this is our fourth season and we have absolutely loved having uh, different people to interview and Um, We have enjoyed learning from all of the people that we've interviewed and raising awareness, which has been, you know, the focus of of the podcast, raising awareness about alcohol misuse, how it impacts the drinker, the families and society as a whole. And um, it's kind of, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how long it, you know, we might have a break for a little bit. We just don't know right now. We just thought it's a little, you know, it's a time, you know, good time to have a little break and then maybe we shall come back with uh, bigger and better things so um yeah so i'm i'm looking forward to this um because uh broken relationships is a is a really big topic for families and and obviously alcohol has a massive impact on our relationships with the drinker and uh, i know that we're gonna probably have lots to say about this so i look forward to um, chatting to elliot who joins us today and we are going to find out his experiences of um his sort of relationships with his 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 father but i will pass over to paula so she can say her bit and then we'll crack on Hi everybody. Um, yeah, I echo what Joanne says, you know, um, it's been amazing doing all of these podcasts and the, the amount of different people that we've met, met and sort of got educated by as well, you know, from a sober pub landlord to uh, a psychologist to um, an, ex, uh, an ex-prisoner, you know, um, the, the array has been, has been quite amazing really, you know, mm. and uh, I've enjoyed every bit of it. Um, 
this week I, I've um, I've got a week off, and uh, it's been amazing because I was getting a little bit burnt out. So it's come at the right time, as you know. Some of you might know I I work in the alcohol and drug industry, and this time at the moment with the whole pandemic going on is is madness, and there is a lot of poorly people out there. And I'm pulling out all my resources to help as much as I can. Um, but it, it, it does take its toll. And I just need to reboot and, and, and uh, be aware of my own well-being so that I can give the best to others. Um, but, but it's been a good week. I've been able to spend some time with my son. And um, actually, I'm in my bedroom because um, I have no ceiling downstairs. <laughs> Um, because of a flood um, I'm having my ceiling repaired I'm having flooring done so yeah it's uh, it's a little bit good but you know at the end of the week it's all going to be done and dusted and I get to have new carpet and new tables and chairs which is a bit of a bonus um, but yes very much looking forward to this one um, as I've had to repair quite a few broken relationships and some that I thought were broken but weren't and some that I've had to work hard at so it will be really nice just to see how um, how it's done you know how different people deal with it so um, mm. yeah Elliot it's uh, it's great to have you here and uh, would you like to introduce yourself Thank you for having me here, and uh, it's, uh, it's 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 an honor because I didn't realize this is like towards the end of your whole season, four season. Oh wow, I'm very special. So thanks <laughs> for having me. Um, so yeah, my name is Elliot Kay, and currently I run a business called Speaker Express, and we work with business owners and entrepreneurs to help them use speaking as a marketing growth tool. But the reason I'm on here is really um, to discuss my relationship with my father, who is now a recovering alcoholic. And um, we repaired, well, you know, I, I consider myself very blessed that I repaired a relationship with my father. It wasn't easy, um, as we'll go through, I suppose, as we, we go through the podcast. Um, but, you know, I'm only too aware of the effect of addiction generally, not just alcohol, you know, other addictions. And I think now there's the, the addiction around social media and phones. And I think that's a, that's a whole different addiction. So I'm here to bring my insights and what I've learned from it. And, Thank you both for having me. I feel very special. <laughs> you are most welcome. Um, but you're right, you know, this, we obviously, we focus on the alcohol, you know, side of things, but really a lot of what we talk about is true for a lot of addictions. So, you know, if, if a loved one, you know, someone who's listening is, you know, experiencing a, a different type of addiction, probably most, you know, of what we say will be very, very relevant. Um, yeah. just in slightly different ways, tweaking it here and there. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, maybe you'd like to just sort of share a little bit in terms of what your, what your relationship was like with your dad and, and kind of how that, how that was for you, I guess, growing up and then maybe, or not even, you don't have to go through everything, but maybe just give us a flavor of kind of your experience in terms of your relationship. Sure. Well, I was going to start from the day I was born, but you know, we, we did that part. <laughs> we'll cut that part. Um, so for me, you know, I just, I, I remember as, as a young boy, it's only a few years ago now, of course, um, I never quite understood why my father kept getting fired. And I never understood why he was always so moody and so stressed. And when I was younger, he used to slap me up quite a bit, not abusively, you know, and he's very off the handle very quickly, especially with me, not with my brother. And I didn't understand why that was. And then as I grew up, I mean, I, I ne I'll never forget when I was 12, I was walking to school and an ambulance drove by and I just went, that's my dad. I just knew it. I, I don't know. I just, I, to the day, I don't know how. I just that knew instinct. my dad. Yeah. And he'd attempted suicide, right? And it was my mom's uh, intuition was like, where's your dad? Why hasn't he shown up? He's not answering the phone. And she got the police to break in and he'd taken pills and, you know, she caught him on time. And again, I didn't understand why my dad was doing all this. Like, why is my dad doing this? Well, what's wrong with him, right? And so when you're growing up with a dad, that's you perceive something's wrong with him and you're not, you know, you're perceiving yourself not to be right yourself as a result. And I had enough problems at the moment. I was asthmatic, I had eczema. I was dyslexic before it was very common. So I had all this stuff going on. Plus my father, I was feeling was this failure at the very young age. Um, my parents were divorced again at a time when it wasn't popular, when not everybody was getting divorced or talking about it. So I grew up with this kind of father that was 
distant and just non-functional and I never understood why. And as I grew up more and more and became more socially aware and understood that the repercussions of, of not having a cool dad and things like that, the less I would acknowledge him. And of course, he would still try to have a relationship. But I was quite pushy back, which is quite a teenager thing to do, but even more so. And then it was when I was 16, when my mom answered the phone. Again, I, I remember the day and she picked up the phone and all I heard her say is like, I told you so, I told you so, you know, I told you so. It's like continuous, I told you so. And she goes, I knew this day would come. And then she puts down the phone, she turns around and goes, oh, by the way, you know, your dad's an alcoholic. And then suddenly I was like, oh, oh, like that makes sense. Now I get it. Um, but that all that did is introduce me to a whole new layer of anger at him and a whole new layer of resentment and a whole new layer of rejection towards him. So much so that I just end up, you know, telling people he was dead. And they were like, well, what did he die of? I'm like, well, he's not physically dead, but he's dead to me. And that's where, that was my coping mechanism, right? It was easier to kill him off than to deal with the fact that my dad's an alcoholic. You know, not literally kill him off. Just, just <laughs> really I, didn't, I didn't like. Let's get that in for clarity. Yes, <laughs> just for legal reasons here. He's still alive. And, he's still here. and that was it. And, and, and of course, he, throughout treatment, was going through the steps and he would send me letter after letter after letter. And I wouldn't read them. But interestingly enough, I, di I didn't throw them away either. But I just wouldn't read them. And then my mum opened one. And it was weird because it was probably one of the most open-hearted letters he'd wrote. And he said, my car was stolen, so I've got some money from the insurance, so I'm going to pay for you to come and stay with me. And that's the first time he'd done that. And then I was like, oh, no, I don't want to go. And my mom was like, look, I really think you should go. You know, I really think you should go, go see your dad. And I'm um, about 17 now. So I did. I, I traveled. I went to see him. He was living in Mill Hill in London at the time in his one bedroom, bedsit above a flower shop, you know, smelly, stinky, not a great place, but he was sober, really. And that felt like the first time I really met him. Like I really met my dad. No masks, nothing inside of him. And he sat me down and he told me exactly what he's been through, what he's gone through. Um, and he, you know, in, in a typical kind of treatment way, he said, I hope we can rebuild from here. Yes. And I still wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to. But something inside of me was shaken. Something was awoken. The, the sense of forgiveness was starting to, to surface. And um, interestingly enough, I, I got home and I was listening to Pink Floyd. And I was listening to Wish You Were Here. And I just remember listening to the lyrics of that song. And it was, a, it was a sentence of, you know, we're just two lost souls swimming in a fishbowl year after year. And I was like, oh, my God, that is me and dad. Like, that's us. We, we've all these years, you know, he's a lost soul. And I'm, I'm only 17. Why am I thinking like this? Right? But it's clearly a very mature 17-year-old. Um, <laughs> again, only a few years ago now, like four or five, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Just as well, people can't see me in this podcast. Classic song as well, I must say. Love I'm, that I'm just sitting here thinking, I think I might have to try and overlay that to the podcast. Yes, maybe. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think it'd be amazing. <laughs> it is a classic song. It's a great song. Because again, it's about the drummer, I believe, that took um, some drugs and never came back. So it's very relevant. He, like, yeah. he went somewhere in his head and never came back. And that was my moment. You know, like we talk about epiphanies. We talk about like, mm. that was the moment. I was like, do you know what? I need to give him another shot. I'm going to have to bury him one day. I want to know who I'm burying. And again, quite a weird, sinister, mm. positive thought. And that was the moment where I decided to really open my heart and my door to him and, and really start rebuilding from that. Mm. Wow. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot there. Um, I think probably first thing I wrote down was around, you, you know, this, this sort of shock of finding out that he was an alcoholic. I mean, how did that kind of equate in what, I guess, did it answer lots of questions? I mean, and, and, and you, you had no clue. You didn't see him drinking all the time or, you know, there wasn't sort of any, any clues that maybe you'd ignored or. 
there were clues. I mean, of course. Did I know what they were? He also used to smoke a lot mm. and he used mm. to take a lot of speed and mm. he, he liked pills. Nothing heavy, but like mm. ease and trips mm. and things. And I, I remember going through his drawers because I was young and that's what you do. And I think I was looking for porn because I was 12 year old. <laughs> I'm sure he's got porn here somewhere. Do you know what I mean? um, but you, <laughs> porn and drugs, it'll be like your lucky day. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I didn't find any drugs, but I would find rolling machines and I'd find tobacco. So I knew something and I, I did look. I looked. So where's the drugs? There's the drugs. Again, intuitively, I just knew there was drugs there. But I never found them. And there was always bottles on like he had like a balcony and there's always bottles there but i never saw him drink so he said oh yeah it was left here by the i just haven't cleared them out mm. and it, you know later years he told me he goes you know just to get normal you drink a bottle of vodka a day right just to get to that normality which is a typical alcoholic thing mm. i never saw him drink at meals he would never drink like in front of me i'd never seen him have beer i'd never seen anything no wine so it's always done discreetly mm. so when I found out, I was like, it kind of said, it answered why he kept getting fired and why he's such a lousy dad. Mm. But in a way, I was like, how did I not see it? How mm. could I not find it? Like, how did I not know? And I guess it just raised more questions of, you know, was I just really stupid? I couldn't, I couldn't see it. Obviously, things did fit into place as well. And it kind of yeah. made sense, didn't it? Yeah. Then I go, oh, okay, now I know why he's fired. Now I know you know, why he's so lazy, why he's always broke, uh, why he's never got any money, mm. you know, things like that. I mean, again, he, he later on, when we started to rebuild, he said he, he found himself, and the reason he went into treatment is because he found himself one day walking up Mill Hill, Broadway, High Street, barefoot, dirty clothes, wanting to kill himself. And he said, well, either I actually kill myself or I go into treatment. So he got to that crossroads. Mm. And I'm very happy he, he went into treatment, obviously. Mm. Mm. Well, that's kind of bringing up some stuff. <laughs> I'm sure. um, I don't think we actually kind of knew dad was an alcoholic. Not yet when we were younger. No. I don't think it became apparent until we were, well, sort of, 1820 you know bit no older. we knew that he was i mean we might not have put the name alcoholic on it but yeah. we knew so that we he had, had a problem but yeah, i don't know when we were younger i don't i think i, I think we would have because i remember being kicked out at 16 and definitely yeah, by i suppose i was kicked out at 16 too so yeah probably mm. but i wouldn't have said i just thought he was a bastard <laughs> not that <laughs> <laughs> not, not, <laughs> um, not that the alcohol alcohol came into it. Is that a new you know? one? Alcohol. <laughs> alcohol. <laughs> alcohol out of control. Alcohol. Exactly. Come on. A new, we got a new word. We love a new word. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I I never made I never really made peace with him at all. I had. I had too much hate going on, but, mm. but as I've, you know, got on my own journey and um, come out the other side, I do have a lot of empathy for him because when he wasn't drinking, he was a really nice guy and he'd do anything for anyone and he could turn his, you know, he could mend cars. He, he made a lot of things out of metal because he was a welder. Um, he, mm. he sort of he could craft anything out of wood do you know what I mean he was he was a good guy and it's what the alcohol obviously changed him into mm. was not a nice person whatsoever mm. um and I I never made that peace with him mm. um and I do feel a little bit guilty about that but he'd done a lot of damage too mm. um but I, I have, well, saying that, I have made peace with it because of part of my amends, you know, I wrote him a letter and then burnt it and sent a little prayer. So I have made my amends and, you know, I feel more peace with it. Um, but it's, you know, I just didn't do it at the time. Mm. I don't know, it's a weird one. 
Yeah, I think yeah. that obviously we all know that everyone's experience is slightly different. Um, you know, we all have similar characteristics and, you know, come across similar things. But I think it really does depend on, you know, the damage and the person and how prepared they are to kind of go through that forgiveness process. And, and you know, and and obviously when, you know, when your dad was ready to do it, you know, you weren't at that time, were you, Elliot? You sort of said, you know, yeah. you met him and you weren't quite ready to rebuild at that stage. And, you know, and sometimes, and I know Paul has sort of um, spoken to the people she works with, you know, that are looking, that are in recovery about this, that, you know, just because they're moving forward and in recovery and rehab does not mean the family are at the same point as them right. or, uh, or right. have caught up, you know, and so everyone's on their own, as I say, everyone's on their own timeline. And so, you know, just because they're at a point does not mean to say the family are at that point. And for, for the um, drinker, very often, they are not aware of necessarily the, 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 you know the grand scale of the you know the consequences of their actions whereas the family members have been living through that each and every day and so it takes a lot longer for them to yeah find find peace yeah. with that and forgiveness um and that isn't going to happen necessarily as quickly as the drinker might like yeah i do express that a lot because you know they're feeling great they're sort of floating on their pink fluffy cloud and um, you know feeling better looking better thinking positive and they're saying you know well um, you know people still aren't talking to them and I just have to sort of remind them that we leave a lot of chaos and destruction in our path you know behind us and they lived it where half the time we won't even remember it you know so um yeah. as the alcoholic you don't really remember a lot of what you do and what you say um but these people have actually lived this nightmare and are still you know traumatized by it mm. and um as well as we might be feeling um it's it's a catch-up you know and 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 it is like the old cliche saying, you know, time does heal and time does make a difference. And all you can do is just prove yourself every day that you are a better person. And, you know, we talk a lot about giving back and helping others. And that is how you, you know, you start building bridges and things. So, yeah, absolutely. I guess it's a little bit like when someone breaks off a relationship, that person's already got to that conclusion that relationship's over, right? And then the other person's left with the pieces. Yeah. It's very similar, isn't it? The alcoholic goes into recovery and like, hey, I'm ready to move forward. And the other people are like, whoa, we're not. We need to go yeah. through our own. Very, very similar. Yeah, you know, especially when, you know, you've already made the decision and moved on in your head. Yeah. You know, the other person's just left there. Yeah, right. I had that this week, actually. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't mean to. Do it. <laughs> Is that why your ceiling's flooded? <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the tears just flow <laughs> no but it is it's it's something that you know it like most things in life you know it's acceptance and understanding yeah. and and moving forward you know mm. we can't change the past we don't know what the future holds so let's just deal with uh you know today mm. so. yeah but I think for a lot of family members, you know, those words flow so easily off the lips, don't they? Um, but yeah. in reality, it's excruciating. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no, there, the yeah. vocabulary is not extensive enough to describe the environment, you know, that some people live in. Um, it's, uh, and I, I wonder what you think, Elliot, in terms of, um, you know, you obviously were able to, you know, at least start the process of, you know, or at least be willing and open to conversations with your dad about um, patching things up. I mean, how did that sort of manifest and sort of go slowly, I'm guessing? Or Yeah, it was very slowly. And, you know, it's like anything when you kind of, at times I would regress completely, like something would, he would do something that even has nothing to do with drinking and that would just trigger me to go boom no i don't want this and mm. i'd pull away again and then i'd go back to oh no wait i'm gonna have to bury him one day let's keep on this path you know for me well i, I kind of did what it took so i go into alatine and i went to alanon and i'd go to meet open meetings with him um because it became very important to me to, to, to catch up on the 17 years that I didn't really have a dad, even though he's physically there, he was, more, you know, addicted. 
and yeah we, of course we fell out and I had to be very open with him and I had to tell him as you do when they're going through treatment mm. and everything and the pain he caused and and then I think what happened with me is I just got to the point where I'd said everything and I'd I'd pained it out mm. and then it's like well, I'm just going to hold on to it for the sake of holding on to it now. It's just mm. the resentment, the bitterness, the anger. You know, I'm just holding on to this stone that's burning me. Mm. I, I need to let it go. Um, and that's what I, I think it took me till I was about 21 to do that. I mean, there's plenty of reasons why I was still angry with him. He was mm. always broke. He still is always broke. You know, while he's removed the addiction, I think there's still st- stuff that he does now that's still symptomatic to his addiction. Mm. And, I wish, you know, he, he's addicted to being ill. Like he'll read something and he'll read something. Oh, I think I've got that. Oh, yes, I've got those symptoms, you know. So at least it, it's kind of like not as destructive as alcoholism in the way we laugh at him now. Mm. Um, my brother just won't believe him. He's like, oh, yeah, he's just read about it. He's ill again, you oh, know. Yeah. Actually, no, but he really is rather ill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Up until that point, he was kind of like, Sorry, oh, that's I'm not a fun. It's sort of funny, but not funny. No, I know. It's It's one of those things. Um, so look, it, it's not, it hasn't, we, we're in a good place now. He's great for grandfather, right? He's, he's very much as a pain in our life. Um, to get to that point when I was 20 or one, that took a lot of work for me and a lot of forgiveness. And a lot of I was going to say, I mean, you, you talk about it, it you know, is it, well, it comes across like, you know, it wasn't too bad, but you know, I, I just think... I just know how I felt and I know how a lot of the, you know, daughters of alcoholics that I speak to are feeling. And I just think there's so much anger and there's so much rah and there's so much resentments and life isn't fair stuff. (laughs) And it's like, it's so hard to get your thinking out of that constant, like, and you're always anticipating them to going to fail and you're always Mm. anticipating. Yeah. Well, I've heard that 20 million times before. Um, you know, in, and we as family members get stuck in that, which is not helpful, but because we're so angry, it's so hard sometimes to get out of that, isn't it? And we just think, yeah. well, why should I forgive you? You've put me through hell. Yeah, I think my brother, I know my brother still hasn't forgiven him. You know, my brother's now slightly older than 21. And, you know, he hasn't. He, he still carries that anger. He still carries that resentment now and of course it's had a detrimental effect on him so mm. he definitely has held on to that burning stone so mm. to speak and i think you know generally speaking you kind of have that choice and you can and it's not easy i completely know it's not and i accept it's not and in a way i'm quite blessed that at the age of 21 i was able to remove a lot of this and people carry around for their lives right for sure i just think at some point you, you you've got to make a decision of how much you're willing to carry around um exactly. you know and it's not an easy decision and yes there's a lot of anger and there's a lot you know for some people it does work just to cut them out of their life because then they can move forwards and i accept that that's mm. a, a route to take mm. um is it the ideal route probably not um but i i just had to there was so much going on for me besides that that actually forgiving my father and letting go of it allowed room to to, to, to for other stuff to be dealt with mm. but i you think know. um not everyone has those insights you know not everyone recognizes or could identify that it's harming them more than it's you know harming I, yeah. the drinker and not everyone has that that sort of insight so um many people will you know, well, many family members will always say, well, they're the ones with the problems. It's not affected, you know, it's not my problem, but it is, isn't it? It affects us more than anything, you know? Um, And I think, you know, some family members won't ever find forgiveness. I mean, what do you think about that? Me? Mm. (laughs) I think, (laughs) 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 I was just wondering if you're asking Paula or me, Um, (laughs) you know, I think, I, I accept that that's an outcome, that's a possibility. Is it is it an ideal outcome? Is it something I wish on someone? Absolutely not. But, you know, having done a lot of, you know, being, a, I don't coach anymore, but I'm also a trained coach and I'm trained cognitive behavior with my therapist. And one of the first rules you learn is they accept someone's model of the world. Mm. So I completely accept that that's where people are at. And I accept that 
that's their journey. My wish, my desire, my hope is that they're able to move forwards, forgive. And again, I'm not looking, I'm not saying like a Rocky montage type forgiveness, like, oh, that's it. They're going to therapy four minutes later. Let's hug, let's friends, let's go eat burgers mm. together. I'm well aware that's not reality. That's not life as, as a lot of us know it. But I would love it if, if people can find that, that little bit of, of kind of headway that allows them to go on this path. That would be my wish. That would be my hope, right? That would I be my romantic it, ending kind of thing, <laughs> you know? I think um, often it's, it's a bit like, and I think Joanne did this to a certain extent for a few, quite a few years, um, carried, well, both of us probably a bit, um, carried almost like a backpack full of rocks of hate, resentment, upset, you know, and it's about chucking one rock out at a time and, and just oh. making that load easier. You know, like I said, you can't move forward if you're stuck in the past, you know, and, and there's an element of forgiveness of that person being ill, that person, you know, that was their journey, you know, and, and your journey doesn't have to be their journey. You know, you might've okay. been part of it, but throw those stones out, you know, um, and because it just you you breathe deeper you feel lighter you know all of those things make such a difference and like you just said Elliot about you know focusing on what you want to do in your life and opening doors for yourself you can't let what's happened um I you know make you can't let what happened identify who you are as a person either you know because yeah. you've got your own life to lead I think yeah. for many family members and certainly daughters of alcoholics, they haven't had, you know, they've grown up where their life isn't their own. And a lot of them do have identity issues. They don't know who they are. And, you know, it's okay for us now to speak in such a way because we're out the other end and we've got that experience and knowledge and learning. But for the people that are in it right now, that could probably seem like, an unachievable I'll never get there kind of thing do you know yeah. what I mean because they're you know at the moment they don't have and some people won't ever train in it you know psychology or you know they won't get yeah. that sort of insight and so we're coming from a place of you know more development in that regard but I think for certain family members they they're just trying to make sense of it sometimes well actually a lot of them are just trying to survive each and every day yeah. and and to be able to um you know even think about forgiving the person they've got a first i think start to understand about alcoholism you know and alcohol misuse before they can even consider anything because without that knowledge and understanding they can't then develop compassion yeah and empathy yeah. i think the the greatest this is just my thoughts right is i, I think people need to forgive themselves before they forgive the alcoholic um, we focused a lot on forgiving the alcoholic and that is a huge part of it but i think it's it's the forgiveness in the sense of forgiving like to give yourself right to give yourself that chance to give yourself compassion you know you were most likely born into this situation you didn't choose the situation so like you know yeah. you opened their mouth and talk you know poured the vodka down them right mm. or whatever it is and i think there needs to be a huge element of you know, not blame, but understanding it's not your fault and to forgive yourself for the situation you find yourself. You did the best you could with what you knew and the knowledge you had. And again, I know for some people listening and for some people, that's so intangible, but if they can just find self-forgiveness to begin with, I think yeah. the healing will start. Will it be a quick? No, not, I'm, you know, it's not a fairy tale. It's not going to be quick, but it will be worth it. Yeah. Even and if I, it takes a lifetime, it will be worth it. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, again, a lot of them don't always understand their emotions and feelings because often they've been told not to feel. Um, and mm. so, you know, sometimes it is helpful to talk things out with other people that have been in a similar situation because then you can start to connect. And I've seen it, you know, even today in the Facebook group that we run, you know, it's lovely to mm. see everybody supporting each other. And, you know, one lady said, I haven't actually spoken in the group yet. 
and I hope that you know now she's she's taken that leap and you know shared and she really identified with somebody's story and it made a really big difference to her and and so there's just even things that we certain people might see as small steps are still quite big to to, to them and um and so it's it's those little micro little mini steps that we take even you know just to be able to say something or to to even recognize in self how i'm feeling because i yeah. need to know that i'm not forgiving myself to be able to forgive myself yeah absolutely <laughs> and the thing is to remember is it always surfaces right so no matter how we suppress or push down it always surfaces so my outlet was school i was terrible i was one of those students that the teachers used to walk in and go elliot you can leave now <laughs> right i used to throw chairs oh, and tables at them right you know i mean it's not like it was plain sailing i was a terribly and I, I was dyslexic and people didn't so i was lazy as well i mean i still am dyslexic it hasn't gone away right but <laughs> the thing is it's gonna it's gonna be you either kind of find a way to let it out or it's going to come out and that's that's where it's really dangerous and i think part of probably the work you do you probably deal with the people where it comes out and it's uncontrollable and it's dangerous and it's you know comes out sideways <laughs> yeah exactly and it's destructive mm. i think you know i mean lucky for me goodness, i mean my mom still says it like how did you not end up in prison right because not because i was like stealing or mugging but because i was so aggressive and when i would blow up it was it was bad it was throwing stuff it was you know like how i literally how teachers kept forgiving me for throwing stuff at them god knows right mm -hmm. <laughs> there was an angel looking after me but um, and was that anger and frustration from what i think there's a lot of anger to do with my dad it was anger mm. to do with not being able to read not being taken mm. seriously mm. being told i was stupid mm. um you know, I think there's a lot of anger because I was very, I, I guess we're all different, but I, I, I didn't fit into the mold again. Mm. Like I was from that, you know, my parents were divorced. I had my arms all blotchy from my eczema mm. I had really thick glasses. I couldn't read because of this legs. I couldn't write, you know, I still can't really write properly. Mm. I can't read joint handwriting, you know, day after day, the teacher's like, you're lazy, you're stupid. Mm. You'll never amount to much. By the way, I've written four books sodgy teachers yeah <laughs> what do they know yeah exactly <laughs> yeah exactly no they're, oh, they're not alive dear. i wanted to send it to one of them especially i even mentioned <laughs> them in a recent article uh, but she's passed away um and i think because of all that going on and also my mom you know is amazing but she was a workaholic so obviously she was working above to put food on the table and, and keep the family together and so I was this wild child. I started smoking when I was 12. I mean, I don't smoke now, obviously. Um, so I kind of, I could have gone that, down that addictive route. I think it's interesting, you know, and maybe a point just to quickly reflect on. Mm. Here, here is a teacher that has said some words to you and a number of years later, you are repeating what that person said to you. So what an impact our words can have on people yeah and 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 how that made you feel and i just i find it fascinating because i think that you know again a lot of the daughters of alcoholics you know we've all heard families we've all heard negative things that our parents have said to us um or peers or teachers or whoever and we you know especially if it's our parents we take what they say as fact because mm. we're children and we don't well, who else are we going to believe? You know, that's, we just know we need to listen to them and do what they say. Um, and unfortunately, our product, our parents are a product of their parents. And so the concertina thing goes on, doesn't it? And so they're, yeah. they're then passing their issues on to us, not consciously um, or on purpose, but that's kind of how it happens. And it's amazing how then those issues are passed on to us and then you know years later we're still recanting these stories and you know mm. it's just it can be just fleeting comments sometimes but it's something that obviously hit home and, and obviously mm. when we hear them often enough and for long periods of time that's what we believe and actually it's not true yeah definitely not true it's very powerful um, we live just... our life by it though don't we 
Mm. Yeah. We're, we've believed that we're stupid or we're not worthy or we're this or we're that because someone, our parent or some teacher or whatever told us so. It's madness. to believe them, right? Because they yeah, know better. Yeah, of course. But that's a role that they play, isn't it? They are playing a role. Underneath that, they're a human being just like we are. Yeah. And they're projecting. Yeah. Right? So it's Because of the time, we don't have this awareness. Of course we're we not don't. Going, oh, they're just God projecting. damn it. I know, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> Hindsight is a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> Very beautiful thing, absolutely. So do you think there's a point of no return for some people and that these relationships will always be broken? Yeah, I think most people have a line. And I think once you've crossed it, it's very hard to come back for it. Yeah. I do know, you know, in a way, I, I think sometimes I have it. And I know I do. Like, if you, if you go to a certain place with me, you're gone. I don't scream, I don't shout, but you're gone. Like, I'm just, you're out. And it's, I guess, what's what I did with my dad, right? Although I let him back in. And I think for some people, the pain of facing it and rebuilding is just too much. Mm. So there's a point of no return. It's like, yeah. if I, and I think you see that a lot in abusive relationships and addiction. It's like, for we me. Sh- we shouldn't shame on, people for that, though, should we? That they no, aren't forgiving that person. No, not at shame all. them and say, oh, no. you should forgive them and, you know, no. put pressure on them. Absolutely not. And I think that's why I was saying that if the pain is greater, you know, dealing with it than it is moving on with your life, I'd say move on with your life. Mm. And when you're ready, if you're ready, go back to it. But there's no shaming that because mm, that's yeah. their part. Mm. Yeah. And I think that, again, there's no permanence in life. So you might decide that you can't forgive somebody right now and you don't want to repair, you know, broken relationships right now, but you don't know how you're going to feel in days, weeks, months, years. So we can never really say, you know, I'll never want to, um, because we just don't know. And sometimes when we do say that, it can keep us stuck and stop us even being open to the possibility. It's like, we've already said it now, so I can't go back on what I said. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. that's just being stubborn yeah well yeah. i know someone like that yeah. me <laughs> <laughs> well i wouldn't like to say i mean i could possibly say <laughs> especially on a recorded podcast <laughs> <laughs> well you'd be surprised at what secrets have been let out on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> i bet having experienced it i'm pretty sure there's been some very interesting ones <laughs> you know but again if we take like a, it's an abusive relationship right you wouldn't tell your your friend or expect of your friend that's getting beaten says no go back no you need to you know you go no get out get out protect yourself get yourself on your feet and then if you're ready to circle back and deal with it it's the same so i have i completely accept that there's for some people there's just a point of no return and that's where they're at and that's that's their path. And I think, again, no shaming them. There's no, like, you're not good or you're just terrible. You'll regret it. Mm. Like, that's the worst thing you can say to someone. You'll regret it. Great. Now you're making, you're guilting me even more. Yeah. And you're just yeah. met with even more of, like, no, mm. no more. Mm. So, yeah. Completely. Just creates a bit more turmoil then within that person yeah. because mm. they're then tossing from one to the other, not knowing really what to do and, uh, you know, listen to themselves, listen to the good people around them, you know. Yeah. And so was is it just you and your brother um or do you have no just my brother and i i mean i've got two of my own now uh, one nine months and one almost four as she'll tell you um but yeah it's just me and again my brother and i didn't get on we're very different people and you know he always resented me for being born still does many years later um but he's a bit better these days we have some form of a relationship but again for years him and i we were just we didn't talk much. We didn't communicate. There's definitely no, not a lot of love there whatsoever. Mm. Yeah. We've dipped in and out as well. I think in our lives, me and Joanne, it's mm. been, I don't know, it's just been different places where we've been in our lives and, and we kind of drift and get back together. And, and I suppose when I came out of treatment, we, I definitely needed some distance. Um, Joanne needed the distance and so did I. Um, but I must say in those four years coming up, um, 
we are cl we're closer than what we've ever been and oh, i think it's just brilliant. going on this kind of journey oh isn't that nice <laughs> oh isn't that lovely <laughs> but you know it just goes to show you can have fractured you know um family relationships siblings mum dad auntie and stuff you know and um sometimes it's just just the way it is it's just the path of life you know and um you know whether you know like at one point i i got married and had children joanne is single and career-minded so we were in different places you know and, and and we weren't relating um but and especially like during my alcoholism um you know joanne had to step back because it was it's too close to home and um mm. i'm experiencing experiencing that at the moment you know i'm i was probably just uh you know it's payback for me or something but you know someone very close is has has relapsed you know and and it's and when it's so close you know it's really difficult and i've had to step back you know because it's the right thing to do um you know just let the people know that you're there when you need them but for my sanity as well as joanne's you know in the past and my mum's and you know it is that that's having to step back and and you know just let it naturally flow and and it's drawn us back together again you know so i think that just shows the kind of like what i said there's no permanence is there no, there's times no. where you need that space and times when it will come back together if it's if it's meant to um and you know it's sometimes for some people like you said it's just not the right thing to do and it's not going to happen and they're totally entitled to not want to repair a relationship that they've potentially already grieved for um because many you know families have had to grieve the loss of a relationship with the drinker that they've they wanted to have that they just haven't been able to have you know many daughters and sons of alcoholics have you know not been able to have a relationship with their parent and they've had to grieve the loss of that and and sometimes they've made the decision not to stay in touch with their you know their parent or you know a loved one or whatever and and, and that's the decision they made and and for some that's the best decision they could have made for themselves yeah so mm -hmm. how long has your dad been um dry for now Ooh, good question i guess it's probably 30 odd years wow. oh wow that's amazing yeah. mm. and he knows like we, we always say if you ever pick up a drink we're done mm. so yeah. There's your point of no wow. return. That's no. amazing. And has he involved himself in um, like AA fellowship or, um, he or did anything for like a that? A few years, you know, he did AA, NA, and then um, eating anonymous. Like he did the mm. lot. He did the yeah. circuit. Because like many addicts, when he wasn't drinking, he was overeating or mm. he was, you know, he jumped from one addiction yeah. to another. Yeah. But the last, I don't know, I think 10 years, he, he even did the counseling course and he did embark on that journey for a while and then he just yeah. never never carried on after i think last decade he hasn't really done much with it yeah but wow what an amazing achievement as well you know yeah. um, you know and it just it can be turned around and 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 things can change you know it's just it's time and patience isn't it time patience yeah. acceptance and you know mm. focusing on on moving forward um and that's, that's just wonderful. Time. Yeah, the only thing I was thinking about this as you guys, it's, it's kind of a straight, it's a little regret, but the only regret is I can't have a pint with my dad. Mm. You know, in a nice way. I can't just yeah. sit there, we can have a couple of drinks together, mm. you know, but that's a very small thing to, yeah. you know, yeah, but very small. He can have a coffee and I, I can have a one or two. <laughs> He's okay. <laughs> he doesn't have a problem, you know. Yeah. It'd be yeah. nice to, be able to just have a, one off mm. yeah okay. and has he made sort of any amends to you at all in the early years um yeah. you know he's he's never paid for anything he was supposed to pay so financially he's never made amends right. um, but no you know i i can see how much he invests now in our kids you know and how involved he is yeah and i can see he's almost like unconsciously making up with them within doing yeah. this which is often the case right with grandchildren mm. yeah i think emotionally he made amends uh he was certainly there for me you know i used to be a professional dancer and i used to tour a lot and he used to pick me up at like three o'clock in the morning from the airport 
Um, I lived on his floor when I was homeless. I mean, that's not sleeping rough, just for the record. Okay. I just have an address, <laughs> right? So he's made amends in other ways, but in his own ways. So yeah. Definitely. And I think as well with the grandchildren, it's like he's able to live that part of his life that obviously he missed out on. But yeah. also it must be a beautiful thing for you to see as well, you know, and sort of yeah, be it's very moving. Yeah. How much he wants to be involved, you know, he really does. And now obviously with Far and he can't quite travel because of his age and you know, COVID and actually he's not well. Um so whatever happens, I'm glad he's had that time with them. I mean, let it yeah. be many, many years. Um, but whatever happens moving forward, I, you know, I'll be very happy that he experienced that. And I hope he experienced many more. Yeah. Um, because, he, you know, at the end of the day, I can say he's a good guy, right? Like, like you guys said, your, mm. you know, your father was a good guy. Just the addiction overcame him. Mm. Yeah. You know? That Jekyll and Hyde, isn't it? You yeah. Know, it without is. the drink, they're a totally different person, and it's so sad to see. You know, because a lot of a lot of us, that's what we hold on to. You know, this person. If it depends on the situation, obviously, if you, they've always been a drinker, then it's hard to know the person. You know, without it. But you know, if we have had a period of time where someone wasn't drinking, you kind of hold on to that, and you just think, I just want that person back. Um, yeah. you know, that, where's that person gone? Because that was the nice one, you know. Yeah. Now this one's drinking. I don't like it very much. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's where the importance of people and like we're trying to do is to educate people. These mm. people aren't drinking because they want to get you know messed up or whatever. These people are drinking because there's a it, there's something else going on. Mm. You know, if they could put it down, they put it down, but they mm. can't you know, and mm -hmm. then needs to be an element of, of compassion about it, even though there's a huge amount of frustration, mm -hmm. but it, it's not as clear cut as it seems. No, but I think that's just because, you know, like we've said, said lots of times, you know, people just don't understand that, that level of, you know, knowledge and, and you know, insights into our commerce uses just isn't, isn't there. Um, yeah. So that's why it's hard for people to really comprehend. And when you, you know, I've had a conversation fairly recently with a friend who is sort of dealing with something similar and uh, and she's making all the you know the logical sort of reasons and you know she's been given loads of chances and she still won't stop and all that and it's like yeah but you're trying to take away the one thing that helps her get through life every day you know why would yeah. she want to give that up it doesn't really matter how many times you offer her a rehab or help she's always going to say no unless you give her something else that's better right. you know you're trying to take this thing away and leave her with nothing why would she do that doesn't matter if you right. offer her 50 times help. <laughs> You've got to give yeah. her something else that's going to help her, you know. So it's um, it's very simple to have that conversation, you know, a logical level, but it isn't a logical argument, is it? No, definitely not. Oh, well, this has been very interesting, Elliot. Yes. Thank Thanks you for so much me. for sharing your story and, um, you know, being so open with us and, you know, I think giving people hope and and for them to know that it's possible to rebuild the relationships and that they can actually, if they want to, you know, um, you know, prepare what maybe they, you know, and get a relationship with the person that they might have liked to have had and, and didn't. So yeah. you know, I really appreciate that. No, I loved it. I love the fact that your dad's, you know, obviously got so much sobriety time and, you know, he's able to connect with you and, and his grandchildren. It made me get, it gave me goosebumps. Mm -hmm. um, just, just imagining it. I, I just think that's a lovely, lovely way to sort of end it as well. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for um, speaking with us this evening. My pleasure. I'll send it to him when, it, when you publish it. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. <laughs> Thanks oh, for thank you me so much. Yeah, great. Yeah. Thank you so no, much. No, you're welcome.